Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, welcome to Sunday morning. We Last week, we started diving into this Old Testament book named Esther, and uh, it's quite a unique book, and uh, we, we got us off uh, out of the train station on the book last week, and so uh, just in, in form of just kind of recap, uh, the book of Ex- Esther uh, is, is an unusual book. There's, of all 66 books in the entire Bible, this is the one only book that doesn't mention the name God in it, but his fingerprints are on every page. This book is written to illuminate and illustrate of many different lessons, but one of the primary ones is God's sovereignty. That even if evil people with evil plans and evil plots, even if people are like that in this world, God's sovereignty overrides all of that uh, at, at times. And so we've been looking at this. Uh, we've been looking at this story. How can God use the evil and evil people in this world to further His kingdom program on the earth? And Esther is the story that uh, we're going to look at. Uh, around the time, this is when Persia uh, was. This was before Greece. So Persia was the dominant world force uh, on the planet at the time. They had 127 provinces. I think there's a map up there. It covers most of kind of the up to that point, civilized world, but argue about civilized. Anyway, uh, so here's Persia. King Ahasuerus, or by his Greek name Xerxes, uh, some of, depending on your Bible translation, will use those two names interchangeably. It's the same person. Um, but he was a godless pagan king, and uh, his, he, had his, he had a wife named Queen Vashti. Uh, she denied his request to come dance on the seventh day of a drunken feast, uh, in front of his guy friends, and uh, she gets kind of dethroned. He, in his rage, dethrones her, and uh, she's kind of, uh, nobody, nobody, it doesn't say that she was killed. She was probably just kind of put into his harem, which we got into last week. That's definitely not God's way. So, um, uh, so after about three years, King Ahasuerus, uh, his uh, attendants notice that he is a little lonely. And so they pitch, pitch an idea. Why don't you have a beauty contest? All 127 provinces, we're going to get all the prettiest girls. And long story short, if you were here last week, you heard all of it. But Esther was the one that percolated to the top to King Ahasuerus, and she was made queen. Uh, but that's where we kind of left off, and we're, this morning we're going to dive through chapters 3 through 7, so let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that, Lord, no matter where we're at, God, you'd speak to us here today. God, we're here to hear from you. Not hear from men, but God, hear from you. So, Lord, we just give this time to you. God, we say, ask, speak. Lord, we ask you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. It's easy to get caught up in the wrong purpose these days, whether it's us climbing the success ladder that the world uh, says that's what it means to be successful, or whether it's just trying to pursue happiness. Uh, that seems to be uh, kind of dominating. But I would say that there's probably something a little bit deeper, a little bit more 
uh, basic to, I think, a lot of us who've grown up in the context that we did. To a certain degree, we've all sensed this default purpose. And this default purpose kind of sounds like this. I was in high school. And when I was in high school, I was dying to get into college. And then when I was in college, man, I was dying to get out in the world, start my career. And then when I started my career, man, I'm dying to get married. And then you get married, and then you're like, man, I'm dying to have kids. And then you have kids, and then you're like, man, I'm dying until they get out of the house. No, just kidding. Just kidding, champ. Just kidding. No. But then after, after they get out of the house, then it's like, man, I can't wait. To, I'm dying to retire. And then after you retire, you're like, man, I'm just dying. And it's like it seems like we get on this train that our culture kind of asks us to get on with a free pass, unlimited rides, but it's like on this way to a successful life or to a happy life or to a fulfilling or meaningful life. And this is kind of what we get kind of told from the time we were, we were young. We were trained to climb the ladder of success only to find that it was leaning on the wrong wall. The world system and what it calls success will miss the purposes of God every time because it elevates something other than God himself. Did you know that God has a purpose for your life that's much greater and more significant than mere worldly success? You are not here based upon happenstance or mere randomness, but you are here made in the image of God, designed to know God and to walk in the works that he prepared in advance for you to walk in. Man, and that's our hope, is that here at City Life, that God would get a hold of your heart and your life and make it into the life that he's made you for. And so we left off with Esther being made queen. We finish up chapter 2, this small little story. It's going to come back. But Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle who was taking care of her, uh, Esther's uncle Mordecai, um, discovers a plot by two of the king's attendants to assassinate him. And Mordecai finds this out and he reports him uh, to the king's kind of guard and it kind of gets exposed. And that gets written down. We'll come back to that. Esther 3, verse 1. Here we go. After all these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite. Now, this is a new character we haven't met before. This is the first time he's introduced. He promoted this man named Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamathedah, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the gate bowed down to him and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. So the king lets him know, hey, Haman's my number two, and I need everybody to bow down to him. However, Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Houston, we got a big problem. There is somebody... In this land. So King Ahasuerus assigns Haman as his number two. He asked him to bow down. However, Mordecai could not pay, pay homage or worship him in that way. Honor is one thing, bowing down is another. The other thing we learned about Haman is that he's an Agagite. That came from a king that we find in 1 Samuel 15 by a man named Agag. Now, Agag. Uh, he was the head of the Amalekites. This happened a few hundred years before we find Haman coming on the scene. God told Saul to destroy the king, but Saul thought he was too smart for God and he disobeyed. And Agag's legacy has now been given the number two role in the greatest 
empire known to man up to that time. And so Agag's legacy had now been given charge, and it didn't get dealt with earlier. And so another generation down the road has to deal with Haman. And they just thought, man, if we would have just dealt with it back then, we wouldn't have to deal with it today. But because we didn't deal with it, it's still hounding us for our destruction. And that's the legacy of kind of unaddressed sin. If I don't handle it now, it's going to come back in a way that I can't imagine later. So the king's servant replied, "Uh, how are you not doing what the government told you to do? Hey, hey, you're supposed to bow. Honoring, like I said, honoring is one thing. But when these... That this system of government is now trying to combat the allegiance to Yahweh and Mordecai's heart. And he's like, no, I'm with Yahweh. I will not bow down to this worldly system. So this ticked Haman off big time. This ticked his ego, his pride. Hey, I'm the number two. Who is this man who's not bowing down to me? And so uh, Mordecai wants, to, or uh, Haman wants to eliminate not only Mordecai, but all his people, all the Jewish people throughout all of Persia. And so Haman brings this idea to the king. You've got some people here that don't roll with you, King Ahasuerus. They won't abide by your laws. Verse 8 says, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. So it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver out of my own pocket into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may be put into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Amathida, the enemy of the Jews. That was a huge Thing He was handing over his authority. The signet ring is what you would sign on the laws to make it official. That signet ring was he could do business as the king. So he not only liked this idea, he gave him the authority to actually execute the plan, which was execute the Jews. So, and he pays out of his own money to like get this plan going. So he gives a boatload of money to get rid of these people. They're nothing but trouble. It was now signed into law. And what we learned last week was that there's something unique about the culture of Persia and uh, media, which is the, the Medes, which is that once something was signed into law, it could never be amended or revoked. It was permanent forever. It's a huge little piece in this story we've got to comprehend. So here we go. This law was made that... These Jews will be eliminated on a certain day at a certain time. And so, verse 13, letters were sent out by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. So it was a particular day they said in the future, hey, on this day, all across the land, we're going to plunder the Jews. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. Man, huge, huge. And so once Mordecai, he overhears the conversation 
that Haman has with Ahasuerus. And he finds out, he hears how much money Haman himself has personally paid. And he hears this plan. And he, and he just weeps and cries. He puts on sackcloth, which was, just, which was just kind of a Jewish form of just repentance because the sackcloth, it was just like burlap, just itched all over. There was no way you could feel comfortable in burlap. But it was a cry to the Lord to say, God, I'm not going to feel comfortable here because of what's going on, on the, in this land. And Mordecai cries out. He's in the courtyard, king's courtyard, crying out. And it says, in every province, the Jews fasted, wept, and lamented. Esther, not hearing the news, hears of Mordecai's behavior. Man, your uncle's kind of gone crazy. He's real sad. He's, he's flipping out. So Esther sends a eunuch servant that the king had provided for her, sends out a servant to go find out Mordecai, what's going on? Verse 8. So Mordecai tells the servant of all that Haman had set in motion. And that specific day in the near future, all the Jews of Persia were going to be wiped out. Esther, you've got to see the king about this. Verse 8. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the servant who's the runner. There's kind of a runner. There's an in-between man in this story. Mordecai also gave him a uh, copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. For she had kept her identity silent. Nobody knows other than Mordecai that she's a Jew. The king doesn't know she's a Jew. Haman doesn't know she's a Jew. Nobody else knows she's a Jewish person. And so then Hathak went and told Esther that Mordecai had said, what Mordecai had said, then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say this. This is Esther's reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king for these 30 days. I haven't seen him in a month. You're asking me to come in into the king that already has a law that if he hasn't called you, he's going to sentence you immediately to death. That's permanent law. So unless the king in that moment extends his scepter out to you and say, hey, come on, let's talk, then it's over. And so Esther is, do you know what you're asking me, Mordecai? Do you know the risk that it's going to take in order for me to kind of go into the king? You're risking, you're asking me to risk everything, even my life. And they told Mordecai, verse 12, they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told him to reply to Esther. This is Mordecai's response. Hey, listen, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. This sentence is the essence of the book of Exeter. Is that you have been born, you have been put in this position to leverage your position for kingdom purpose and Mordecai is saying, you've been put in the kingdom for such a time as this. Don't think that your position, don't think that 
you kind of now you got your nice like servants, and now that you're kind of living the comfortable life, don't you think that God is going to let you off the hook of living out the purposes for which God made you? Amen? So, it's time. It's time to let them know who you are, Esther. It's time to let them know. You've been set up for a little situation here, and God is going to pull through. It's time to use your position, your influence, your resources to leverage that for this spiritual issue, the elimination of the Jews. Make no mistake, it's a spiritual issue. That's not just humans. Esther 4, verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. All right. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai's words cut her to the heart, and she was willing, because right before, she was like, man, you're asking me to do something that I'm risking everything here. Mordecai, you've been born for such a time as this. And Esther's like, all right, I think you're right, Mordecai. Let's do this. And so she does it in a way. She calls this fast. Who are you fasting to? You're fasting to the Lord. And so the queen in her boldness and courages approaches the king. The day comes. She approaches the king. And the king shockingly extends his scepter out to her. And so her life is spared. She comes into the king. The king says, Esther, my prized queen. He's kind of in love with her. And he's like, hey, I'll give you anything you request up to half my kingdom. And the king said to her, verse 3, 5, 3, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today for a feast I've prepared for the king. She's like, wait, wait, what? What? We didn't talk about no feast. This was like, you need to go into the king and plead for the life of the Jews. But here Esther comes up with this plan. So we don't really know. The text doesn't tell us whether if it's, Uh, This was her plan all along, and she had kind of worked it out, or she kind of got a little nervous in the moment. And it's like, uh, come to a feast. You know, it's kind of like this last minute, kind of like, hey, I got to But so we don't really know. But Esther holds this feast. They They hold this feast. Esther prepared, and the king asks again, what's your request? What's your request? Let the king and Haman... Here's her reply. Let the king and Haman come to another feast that I'm going to put on. It's like, wait, what are you, why are you slow walking this? Right? But she says, hey, I'm, let the king and Haman come to another feast I will make to you in Haman's honor, and then I will let the king know what I want. Okay, so that's interesting. Okay, so the king grants her request. Well, that night, before the third feast, that night, two things happen. Okay? After Haman leaves the feast... Haman sees Mordecai, and Mordecai again does not bow down to him. So while he was flattered, his pride was flattered, that he was, he was invited to a personal private feast with the king and queen, man, that boosted his ego. As he was leaving that party, Mordecai is out there, and he doesn't bow down, and it sends him into a rage. Sends him into a rage, and so he goes back home. He gets his wife and his friends, and he tells them. 
He tells them all that's going on. He tells them all the things that he owns and how great he is. And then he's like, but this one guy, Mordecai, refuses to bow down to me. What can we do? And their friend, their, his wife and his friends reply to this. Let a gallows 50 feet or 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king to the feast. This is all going to work out. Hey, in 24 hours, man, all our problems will solve. We'll build a gallows tonight. You can hang them tomorrow. Then hit the feast afterwards. Man, you'd be golden, right? Well, also, at the same time, oh, it says it pleased Haman and they had the gallows made. At the same time that Haman is in a rage at his house coming up with a plan to build Haman's kind of thing, King Ahasuerus can't sleep. And King Ahasuerus tells his servants, hey, could you go and get the book of memorable acts? Which is like, okay, that, they, they kept records of like memorable acts. Okay, great. So those servants go get this book and read about some memorable acts. And in those memorable acts came the man Mordecai, who we saw at the end of chapter 2 exposed the plot to kill the king. The king never heard about Mordecai's exposure. And so this, and so he's like, man, verse 3, the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed upon Mordecai for this? Man, I, I didn't know this even happened. And now you're telling me this one guy exposed the plan? Man, I want to honor him. The king's young men who attended him said nothing has been done for him. And so the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai, or having Mordecai hang to the, on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman's out there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So maybe he wanted to talk, discuss, before he made a decision. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? Haman said to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? So, this was his grand reply. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. And then let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gates. Leave out nothing that you just mentioned. <laughs> so God turns the tables, and the one man he was going to convince the king to hang, the king has now ordered him to go honor before the city. What a reversal. This is the first of many we'll get into more next week. As Haman is going to visit the king about hanging Mordecai, <laughs> Mordecai comes through. The story goes on, and... The day of Esther's feast is to be served before the king and Haman. The king asks again, this is the third feast, all right, what do you request? And here now, the moment has arrived for Esther to let the king know who her people are 
and let her request be made known. Esther 7. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. My request is my life. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we have been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to the queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy. This wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Turns the tables again. Not only does Haman get exposed for what he was doing to the Jewish people, even though the king knew, but it just seems like he was kind of out of it a little bit, just kind of out of the loop. And so Haman was kind of seemed to kind of, kind of do his own thing, kind of a man under his own authority, and it just kind of came back to bite him. The king's in a rage, and Haman knows it, and so the king is out in the garden cooling off. So the king is just, he's pissed, all right? So he's out in the garden kind of cooling off, coming up with a plan of what to do with this man, Haman. Meanwhile, on the inside, Esther is laying on a couch, and Haman is begging for his life. He saw the look on the king's eyes. He knows what's coming. And so he's begging for uh, his life from Queen Esther. And right when the king comes in the quarters, Haman, in like just... Knowing that, knowing that what's coming, he throws himself on Esther, begging for his life. Well, King Ahasuerus does not see it that way. He sees Haman throwing himself on top of his wife to abuse her, to take advantage of her. And that doubles his anger instantaneously. And it said that right after the king issued it, it said the guards came and put a bag around his head. It was like, you're done. And then... Then what, he orders Haman to be taken away. And then Esther 7.9 says, Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance to the king, said, Hey, moreover, the gallows that Haman prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king? Hey, it's standing at Mordecai's, or at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated. Wow, the sovereign hand of God met the courage of this young Jewish woman and what the enemy planned for evil, God turned it upside down. But as I was reading this week, I was just so struck, and we'll finish the story next week, but, but I was just so struck about Esther's transformation that if she said, hey, you know, if I go in, I'm going to lose my life. To turn from that kind of way of seeing the world and way of seeing her life into, I now know the purpose of God that I need to do. I know what the right thing to do is. Give me the courage. And so there's, and, 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 and it, just, it's, it, it just blew me away. It just blew me away because that kind of courage you don't find very often. the right thing to do. Esther met her divine moment with courage that was stronger than her fear. 
She knew it was the right thing to do for her people for such a time as this. This is a word that every generation needs to hear. Every generation, every follower of Jesus needs to hear this personal call from God. You've been born for such a time as this. What about you? What about this generation? God put you here for a reason, for such a time as this. God is raising up his confessional church out of the lies and mire of the culture to create authentic kingdom people. Men and women whose sole allegiance is to Jesus alone. Jesus, who is king over every area of their life. Not just kind of the religious box, but that he's Lord over my family, my relationships, my work, everything I do, he's king. What does this kind of authentic kingdom person do? Well, they actually, when they go home, they create a kingdom environment. And so a kingdom home should look like very differently than for the home's found in the world. And how about King Jesus creating kingdom purpose in his people? God empowered giftings and callings that he's made you with. This is a spiritual war that you've been dropped in the middle of. Maybe you're just starting to wake up to that fact. This is a spiritual war. And there's so many things that these demonic spirits try to get us caught up into that has nothing to do with the purposes of God. And so you and I have pivotal battles to fight in this generation. If we don't rise up, God will choose somebody else to accomplish his purpose. Just like Mordecai's word to Esther, hey, if you don't stand up, God, I know God's sovereignty is so great, he's going to accomplish it somewhere, somewhere else. But we're here in this moment. And so we have an opportunity before us, Esther. Now is the time. Now is the time. And I would personally not rather enter heaven having evaded the pivotal battles in my generation because I know I'm going to be surrounded by people who are all in on the battles of their generation. Come on. And so we need the God-level courage. You and I in this generation, we need God-level courage, much like Esther giving greater place to doing the right thing and doing what God has asked us to do rather than listening to the voices of fear that yearn to keep you silent. We need God-level passion for his gospel. It's the only message that sets people free on planet Earth. Completely, totally. There's a lot of caricatures. There's a lot of charlatan truths out there. But we need to have passion for his gospel in ways that bring people into freedom and liberation. And then lastly, we just need God-level boldness to stand strong and be light and darkness, be a voice of truth in the sea of lies to resist these ancient fallen demons with the authority of King Jesus. So let's take our cue from Esther. The same spiritual enemy that animated Haman to take God's people out is the same spiritual enemy that we have to deal with today. His goal is the same, to blind, hypnotize with fear, steal, and kill. Yet, now listen to this, God's sovereign will and authority overrides the enemy's plans. 
God's sovereign will overrides the enemy's plans. Time and again, he delivers his people and he will deliver you and I. May we stand confidently in this reality as to who God is and may we be the courageous, passionate, and bold people he's made us to be. Amen? For such a time as this. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that God, more than... 2,500 years ago, this happened. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, this, the words that Mordecai Esther, or, uh, uttered to Esther, that maybe you were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. God, I pray that we would hear those words fresh over our life, over our life in this generation. That, God, while people are getting blinded that you don't even exist they're getting blinded that they are not made in their, your image. God, they're getting blinded that they are not divine beings, but they are just primordial slime that evolved to be just who we are today. God, that's a lie straight from the enemy to rob us of who you made us to be. And so, Father, I pray that we would be your people. Lord, as we, as we were talking earlier, God, that our allegiance would be solely you, to you. Lord, not to our own agenda, not to our own want for success, our own want for happiness. God, that's so less than what you've made us for. And so, Lord, even just seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God, we seek your kingdom. God, we seek your kingdom in this hour. God, may we be your people. May we be your people that love and that serve, and that reflect the life of God. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, whether we're just starting to walk with you or, God, we've walked with you for decades, God, I pray that over each home, as we walk home, God, I pray that you would fill our homes with your presence. God, fill it with your presence, your righteousness. God, if there's uh, anything that we just need to kind of handle, that we've allowed to happen at our house, God, I pray that we would take authority over that and protect our homes. Because, God, that's where people come in and experience the kingdom. So, Lord, we pray for your grace to be on our lives in this generation. And let it be on your confessional church that you're raising up. God, your true sons and daughters that aren't buying into the messages of the world, but are staying true to your word, and to who you are. God, we thank you for those people. Strengthen them. Support them. Lord God, we thank you for this moment. God, it's an amazing time to be alive. But Lord, we sense there's a general anxiety that we all are living with. God, we see what's going on out there. And God, we're asking God for you to direct our path. For you to direct our lives. That we would be your kingdom agents on planet earth to the people that you've put us you've put us around Lord, many of them will never walk into a church but god you all want them to experience your kingdom and so lord god we pray for your grace to be on us god may we be strengthened by you may we stand strong in you knowing that your sovereignty is bigger than what we see around us or what the fear is trying to dictate what's coming so, Lord, I pray that your righteous church would shine brightly. God, restore your prophetic voice to your church. But in that, it's 
It's restored righteousness. So, Lord, guard our hearts. Watch over us. Be our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. With that, we'll finish up. Esther, uh, some good, some goody goods, some good nuggets next week. Can't wait for you guys to experience it. But anyway, have a great Sunday. Bless you. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.